If you're a kid, come on up here. You guys stand right there. I'll be down in a second. How you doing today? Pretty good. I'm so glad you guys could come. And you guys came a long way, didn't you, to come to our church? Yeah. We're so glad to have you. And your parents, too. Okay. Most of you probably have seen this before. Who can tell me what this is? To what? That's a pencil. You sure? Yeah. Oh, I, I think you're probably right. Um, what is it? What is it work? What is it supposed to do? Draw stuff. Okay, here you go. I got a piece of paper. Draw something on there. It's not working. It's a broken pencil, says Claire. Well, thanks for trying. You know what? This is broken. What else? What? It's designed to do a couple things, isn't it? Like you said, it's designed to what? Draw stuff. Yeah. You can and make a erase. double pencil. Yeah. You're right. I'm sharpening the other end, right? Okay, is there an eraser on there? Yeah. Well, you think it would work? No, so this thing was designed to do really kind of two things. It was designed to, to draw things, and it's designed to erase things, but it's broken. And so it can't do either one of those things, can it? No, it can't. That, and do you think if this was a, a person pencil, would it be a happy pencil? No, probably not, because it can't do the two things it was designed to do, and it really doesn't have much of a purpose, is, is there, for it. No, so we'll just throw it in the garbage. What do you think? Should we throw it in the garbage? Yes. Throw it in the garbage. Yeah, it's kind of sad. Isn't it kind of sad about the pencil that was made but can't do the things it was made to do and designed to do? And so it's pretty sad and maybe just goes in the trash heap. So how many of you think you could fix the pencil? Yeah, you think you could make a new pencil? I don't know. Yeah, well, that would help. But to make it completely new, do you think you could do that? How about this? Do you think the pencil could fix itself? No. No, 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 no. So guess what? We are kind of like a pencil. Look at this pencil. Brand new. We're like a broken pencil when we're born. Because we were designed by God to do two things. Love God and love one another. And yet we don't do those things very well on our own. We were broken. But instead of God just throwing us into the trash, he said, nope, I'm going to give you a way to become new again. I'm going to make a new pencil out of a broken pencil in your life. And God does it. So can we fix ourselves? you think, like the pencil? No, we can't. Only God can make a new pencil out of an old pencil. And so that's what he does. That's what he promises to do. So when we give ourselves to Jesus Christ, God remakes us. And he, he actually starts working on us before we can accept Jesus to remake the pencil so that we can do the things we were designed to do, be in relationship with God and love one another. And that's kind of what the sermon's about today. So you guys will go down and have your own lesson, but that's pretty much the point. Everybody else could probably go home now. 
All right, thank you very much for coming up. We'll see you next week. They're going to go home and tell their friends at school, I'm a broken pencil. It's true, though, isn't it? Well, this is... Uh, we'll see how the day goes. We prayed downstairs that the Holy Spirit would take control of this, so I don't know where it's going. This was an interesting time to prepare as we were going through this statement of faith, getting back to the basics. Um, Back to the basics, part four. I am so bad I can't see anything. Okay. We have a statement of faith. It has seven points to it. We are on point number four. And that point says this, we believe that the, for the salvation of lost and sinful man, regeneration by the Holy Spirit is essential. And God, for whatever reason, was working on me this week, and I'm looking at this, and I'm looking at our entire statement of faith, and I'm thinking, why in the world do we have a statement of faith? Why is it that we need a statement of faith? And I said, I'm rewriting the statement of faith right now. It's going to look like this. I'm a follower of Christ, or we are followers of Christ. We strive to love God and love one another, and we're people of the book. Because everything else is in the book. Are we going to pull certain things out and say, yeah, we believe this one, but no, not the rest? Or are we going to emphasize these things, but, but the rest of them don't matter? I'm telling you, this is the deal. We are people of the book. The book has everything. It's a shame that, that Christians need a statement of faith aside from, I believe everything in the Bible, I believe it's completely inspired, and I am striving to do everything that it says because it has the answer to every question that matters in your life. It's there. This is not just a way to find salvation, although it is that. This is not just a way to understand who God is, but it does include that. This is not just a a book of instruction manual on how to live my life, but it is that. It is everything. The Bible is what we call, the gives us the Christian worldview, or the biblical worldview, which means this. I don't really understand anything about what's going on around me, except for I see it through my pagan eyes and I come to some sort of conclusion that this is how my life and the world is supposed to work. Without the truth of Scripture, we are always going to get it wrong because we are broken pagan people at our, at our creation and here we are with no answers. Let me give you some of the questions that I believe every single human being is asking themselves at one point or another, what's, it, what's life all about? Why, why am I here? And, and how did all of this get here? Is it just random? 
Is there some sort of meaning and purpose in this existence that we are sharing? How did we get here? Is there a God? And if so, what's he like? What does he want from me? What is he like and not like? What does he expect from me? What can I expect from him? Why is the world so broken? Why am I so broken? Why are all the people around me so broken? Why is this life so hard? Will it ever get fixed? How is it going to get fixed? How does it all end up when it's all said and done? How do I satisfy these cravings that I find within myself? How do I find the satisfaction that I'm seeking as a human being? Where do I find these answers? How do I find peace and joy and contentment? I have given you before the six basic soul needs, meaning and purpose, identity, satisfaction, love and acceptance, security and hope. And every human being is craving those things within themselves and they're trying to find answers to those things because we were created with those needs deep down inside so only God could satisfy them. And yet here we are in our paganness looking to satisfy all of those things by finding them in the world. And it is an exercise in frustration because it will never happen. How do I deal with sorrow and pain and loss and frustration and disappointment? Does this God, if he exists, really love me? How can I have a relationship with him if he does? What's this thing about death? What does it mean? How does it happen? Is it the end? What do I do next? What comes next? What does it look like to have a successful existence on this earth? Why do I exist? Do I matter? Why is it so hard to understand? Throughout human beings' history on earth, they have asked themselves these questions. Every single culture has the same questions. And in our brokenness and in our paganness, we find answers or we think we find answers and they're wrong because there's only one place to go to find all of those answers and that is the Word of God. This is not just a way to find salvation. This is everything you need to know from start to finish. How we showed up here. Who made us? What the expectations are? How I find satisfaction while I'm here? How I get reconciled to God, which is the most important thing ever? And then how am I transformed back into the new pencil that can find satisfaction by doing what I was created to do? This is the book. We are people of the book. This is my statement of faith. Everything in it. And I believe it. And I believe it's inspired by God. I believe it's inerrant. I believe in God has given it to us as a gift so that we can answer the questions of life, so that we can see the pathway to be reconciled back to God, so that we can know how we were created. We can know how it all ends when we're done. And it will give us hope. But we can't just know it. 
We can't just know, we can't just say, okay, it's here. Or we can't just read it because, okay, I have to check a box and I'm obligated and the pastor tells me I need to be in the Word every day. We have to say, I'm going to the book to answer the questions in my life so that for God's glory and my good, I can find the satisfaction that God wants me to have while I am here in this life. We are people of the book because the book has the answers for everything we need. I'll give you... I'll give you an example. I hate to bring up the past, especially the bad past. But you guys will remember a couple years ago, we went through this thing called the pandemic. We're still trying to heal from it now. And it created this new, called the new normal, right? And everything in our world changes. So many things change anyway. And then we face these things as people, as Christians, as Christians. What do we do? And I'm going to say it was probably around three kind of instances or questions or issues. Do we mask or not mask? Do we get vaccinated or not get vaccinated? Do we isolate or not isolate? Okay, right? And even within our congregation, there are lots of different opinions about this, right? And I'll just tell you, for the most part, I'm giving us a B plus. We did pretty well, and even Village Missions used our church as an example of how you would kind of deal with these things. But let's look about, let's look about this thing and see what, what was supposed to happen. This is going to have a point as we get into what is becoming a little bit more of a complex issue as we look at regeneration because there's so many implications. But let's just say, okay, how as a Christian should I have navigated this if I'm a person of the book? First of all, I look for any direct or obvious spiritual guidance from the Word of God. Did it say, thou shalt isolate if you're in a pandemic? Thou shalt mask or not mask? Thou shalt be vaccinated? Did it say any of those things? No, it didn't, right? So we have to dig a little deeper. We have to mine down in there. God, this is a situation. I'm a person of the book. I want to do the way the book says. What does it say so that I can navigate this pandemic and bring glory to you in the way that I do it? Well, let's see. I look in there and I see Paul says he has this issue about eating meat sacrificed to idols. And it says then, if this is sin for you, don't do it. If you are going to cause another brother to stumble, then be considerate of him. If for those that it is sin and you believe that God doesn't want you to do it, it is sin. But does that mean that I can take that dogmatic stand and put it on some other Christian? What do you think? No. And so there were some really emotionally held views about all three of those things, right? And, and, and in churches, in churches, it's bam, bam, bam. Churches split over these things. It's ridiculous. 
Okay, so we, we look further into the Word of God, and it says, it says in Philippians chapter 2, consider others better than yourselves. Consider the needs of others before yourself. And, and in all things, wrap it all in love, agape love for one another. Okay, I have some really strong opinions about each one of those things. Masking, not masking. Vaccinating, not vaccinating. Isolating, not isolating. And I can have those things. But when I navigate through this as a person of the book, I say, I'm willing to sacrifice some of my own feelings, my own opinions, for the comfort of others. And, and maybe I don't see it, and I'm not going to take my views, even though maybe I hold them strongly, and impose them on other Christians and legalistically say, if you aren't masking, you're of the devil. If you're masking, you're of an even worse devil. If you aren't vaccinated, you hate people. And if you're vaccinated, you've given in to the man, and he's injected you with the serum that's going to make you evil. All of those things circulated in churches that claimed to be people of the book. Okay, this is just an example where we have something that is not clearly defined in Scripture, and yet we take these strong opinions and make it essential Christian doctrine, and we impose it on others, and if they don't believe it the way we do, they're going to hell. This doctrine that we're going to be looking at is kind of one of those doctrines, and it's really important. And one of the things that I tried to emphasize last Sunday was one of the lessons we can look at when we look at this doctrine is how do we as Christians deal with doctrines where there are multiple views within existing Christianity, within sincere, saved Christians, and they believe something different? Okay, God gave us this Bible. It's his word that is, is a, a, a guide for our life. It explains all the questions, and yet something, God, why is it that it isn't all plain? Why don't you just tell us everything instead of why are some of these things confusing to us? And, and we, we look at end times, and we look at prophecy, and we even look at the conversion process, and we have people with different viewpoints of how this is supposed to work, and then we impose our viewpoint on them, and we call them wrong, and we don't want to get together with them. We don't love them anymore because they just don't get doctrine the same way we do. So my, my answer is, I don't know why God does that. I don't know why he didn't make everything crystal clear, but I I have, a, I have an idea. Because if it was, everything was really clear, we'd just read it once, throw it away, and probably never do any of it. He wants us to get in there and dig in and find those answers. So I am going to go through the salvation process. Oops. Okay. I think it has every single one of these elements in it. In fact, I am almost positive. It has every single one of these elements in it. And yet, every single one of these elements has different views within Christian orthodoxy. I'm going to give you the views. I may even tell you which view I think is correct. 
But in a very Ronistic way, I'm going to say what's really valuable is you see the views, you get into Scripture, you mine it for everything that it's worth and dig down and get the gold out of it until you find an answer and you stick with that one. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be people of the book. And when we find a question that doesn't seem obvious, we're supposed to get in there and dig around until we find something that satisfies our soul. So election predestination. And I know this one is really sticky. Uh, As I told you last time, last week, I grew up in churches that were Arminian, meaning we believe that we choose God. And yet, you cannot deny that the doctrine of election and predestination is in the Bible. How can you ignore it? You can't. Now, there's a differences of opinion as to what election and predestination means. We're going to talk about that. But nonetheless, the doctrine is in there. You cannot ignore it. The next one, calling by God. That God calls those who are his, to come to him, okay? And so there's different viewpoints. What does that mean? It's clear that it's in there. We're going to see the scriptures that says, nope, you're my called ones. Nope, I called you. Nope, I was called by God, and and I had this calling. It is in there. How do we understand it as a process to becoming a Christian. Okay, so election predestination, calling by God, regeneration, the one that we're going to be talking about, the emphasis of this that started this big mess. Regeneration is part of our statement of faith. What does it mean to be regenerated? Born again. It has to happen. Jesus himself said it. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And so it's not a doctrine that we can just say, well, that's, that's optional. We don't need that. Well, I don't really believe that you need to be born again. Well, then you're arguing with Jesus. Good luck with that. So it's in there, but can I understand it? When did it happen? Who does it? Is it all me? Is it all God? Is it a combination of the two? Does it happen before I get the faith? Does it happen after I get the faith? There's still a lot of questions about it, and we're going to look at those. The next one, gifting of faith by God to repent and accept the gospel message. We're going to look at this verse, Ephesians chapter 2. It says, By grace I was saved through faith, and this is not of myself, is a gift from God, lest we might get a big fat head. So what is it referring to? Well, well, is it referring to salvation, that that's a gift from God? Or is it referring to that grace is a gift from God? Or is it referring to the faith in order to accept the message was a gift from God? All of those are views within Christianity. We'll be looking at that. And then the final one. Probably not much real problems with Christians. Accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior means you're saved. There are some questions regarding that one as far as can I then lose it? When exactly does it happen? Uh, Is it a process that takes a lot of time? Or is it an event that happens at one time? So, as we go through each of these, I'm going to be giving you some scriptures, some good scriptures. They are not comprehensive on the subject that we're dealing with. These are a starting point. I encourage you, I was going to do this and didn't, with each one of these points I'm going to give you scriptures, I would encourage you to take notes. 
Because I'm going to give you some different views within Christianity of each one of these things, and you're going to be confused. And you're going to say, that, yeah, I need to really dig in there. I don't know which one of those I believe. I better go and look for myself. I want to give you a starting point. This is a starting point because there are plenty of other scriptures. Doctrine is important. I could be saved, right? I could be saved. I could go through, we talked about that, the gospel message is very simple. I could tell it to you within less than five minutes. I could accept the gospel message. I could be saved and just say, that's it, that's all. That's all I really need to know. And then you will find yourself without all of the answers that God intends you to have from his word because you did not dig in and get the rest of what God had for you in his word. That's why how to study the Bible is so important. That's why Ron always said, know what you believe and why you believe it. Because, yes, I want to be saved, but I also want to know exactly what's going on here. And God wants me to know. And it requires study, and it requires some sort of a systematic way of looking at Scripture so that I know the truth when I hear it, and I can spot the lie when someone's telling me. There is an enormous amount of error out there, and Christians are susceptible to it because they don't know what's in the book. And then we make decisions about how we're going to live just like the pandemic and we see all this unchristian behavior happening in churches because they didn't read the book, they didn't understand the book, and they didn't strive to live the book because it's telling us when you do this way, this is what works. I know, I made you. And when you start using your pagan reactions to it, the ones that you're hardwired with from birth, it's never going to work out well. And so I'm giving you as a gift all of these extra answers like a big puzzle and I'm going to need you to put it all together and yeah, it's hard and you're going to have to dig for some of the pieces and you're going to have to really look at them and try them here and try them there. But eventually you can fit it all together and say, I understand how life works because God gave it to me in the book. So we're going through the statement of faith to try to put some of the pieces of the puzzle together, but I'm just telling you, this is a tiny little fraction of the puzzle, and you're only going to get the full picture when you dig in and read Scripture for the purpose of understanding the life you're living, who God is, what it means to be a Christian, and, and how can I live it. And that comes from being in the book not as a, some sort of an obligation that I have to check a box, not just because, oh, the pastor says so, but because I am diligently seeking God's guidance to answer all of these important questions that every single human being is asking. And the answers are only one place in the book. We have a way of answering, and it's always wrong. There's a way that seems right to a man, and in the end it leads to death. That's what the Bible says. And that's how we try to solve our lives most of the time, even as Christians, and it's sad. Because God's giving us an answer for his glory, but our good on how to react to life when I'm a Christian. Okay, believers are elected and predestined by God. Uh, I'm just going to ask, and I'm even going to allow you to raise your hand. Um, first of all, let me tell you this. <clears throat> we are not going to get finished with this today again either. We're going to move on to next week because the Holy Spirit says, nope, you've got to make sure they understand this. Now, not understand the answers, but understand why it's important to find an answer. Okay. 
Believers are elected and predestined by God. How many of you have ever considered this question and had a problem with it? Okay, coming from an Arminian background where I believe that all human beings have some sort of chance that the only fair way for God to operate regarding salvation is that he gives everybody maybe not an equal chance, but at least some chance, and then therefore when they go to hell, it's, up, it's on them because they had a chance, they heard the word, and they just said, nope, not for me. I don't want God in my life. Seemed like a good thing at the time. But then I read Scripture, and Scripture says, no, guess what? You were dead. You were dead in your sins and trespasses, and you had no chance of finding me on your own. Zero, zip, nada. Which means that at some level, God had to work in my heart, in my mind, beforehand, or I would never have chosen him. So if that is the case, who in reality is doing the choosing? I'm I'm not going to answer that. I'm going to leave that hanging there so you think about it. But let's look at some scriptures what might give us some light. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose... Hold on here, Tim. Hold, hold on here. Back it up. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He, meaning Christ, predestined us, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of our... No, it didn't say that. Of his will to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. We have another scripture. Well, first of all, um, it does say God chooses there, right? Um, And in that salvation process, we were looking at it, and it says elected or chosen in the first verses there, which is the Greek word eglakami, which means to select or to choose. So when it says, I chose him, that's basically what it says. I, I selected you. I chose you, according to the Greek. And predestined means proridzo, or to limit to ordain or to determine in advance. Okay, so he says, I selected you, and I did this in advance, before the foundation of the world, it says. Before you were even born, before I created anything, I already knew you, epigonosco, knew everything about you, not just knew of you, but I knew you in an intimate way, before I created you, those that were mine. And then you were created. And then you accepted Jesus, and you lived out God's preordained purpose for your life. Okay, let's go on to the next one. 
But to all who did receive him, in John 1, 12 and 13, who believed in his name. Now this one's a little more confusing because it's going to start with, but those who did, well, maybe I did that. You know, those who did receive him, I received God, and so I believed in his name, and so he gave me then the right to become children of God, right? Well, well, maybe I did it. For, for, for I received him, I remember doing that, I believed in his name, I, I made those choices, and guess what I did? I did make those choices. And when I made it, it seemed like it was me doing it. It seemed like it was me. I, I heard the gospel message. I'd grown up in church all my life. I'd been to Sunday school, vacation Bible school, every kid's program you can imagine. And I never once even doubted there was a God or, better put that down, um, or wondered what was going on. I just, when I heard the word, and I said, yeah, that's Jesus. And, I, and I, if you would have asked me at that moment, I would have said, absolutely. I've got to go back, though. Nope, no, I've done it. Okay. But then we got to go to the next verse. He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but by God. So whose will was it when I made those choices? Whose will was it when I accepted Jesus as my Savior? Who was the motivator behind that? Was it me? Was it God? Was it a combination or cooperation between the two of us? Okay, so, there are a couple of different viewpoints, right? I'm going to give you a couple. There are a lot of little aspects to this that we don't have time to cover. In fact, I'm going to run out of time very shortly here. But the two major views within Christianity are this. One of them, that in God's absolute sovereignty, he decides who will be his elect, and he predestines and foreordains those whom he's going to call. All of us were born in enmity with God, at a war with God. Our eyes were closed. Our hearts were hard. None of us, without God's help, we went over this last week where we all started, none of us, without God's help, would come to salvation. Therefore, God had to do something for anybody to be saved. So, the one view is God in his sovereignty said, I don't owe them anything. All of them deserve to go to hell. Because I am a loving God, because I want to exhibit my grace, I am going to select some to save. And the others are going to get what they want, a life without me for eternity. And I will choose. Now, sometimes that's hard to accept. As a Christian, it's like, I, I, I just, I've had other Christians tell me I could never serve a God who didn't give everybody the same chance. This is scripture, people. This is what it says. And so the, the um, actually, I think I had some other ones. The other viewpoint, well, let's take a look at the, these other scriptures first. Then we'll, nope, backwards. Let me see. We got Romans 8. Romans 8, 
28 through 30 says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called, who are called, that's that same called word that we're going to be looking at in the next point. Those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, this is called the golden chain, and those who he predestined, he also called And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so here's where the second viewpoint within Christianity, the major viewpoint, comes. Well, God selected us before the foundation of the world, but because God is completely omniscient and can see the past and the future, he looks forward in time when it says, I foreknew then, then basically, I foreknew you. If my foreknowledge told me, I know who's going to accept me and who's not. And so I'm going to choose those ahead of time that I already know are going to accept me on their own. And those are the ones that I'm going to call. So within Christianity, those are the two main views on how the election and selection process works. So I'm not going to call those who aren't mine. I'm going to call those who I already know are going to accept me. Now, I believe there's an answer there, and I believed at most, or the first 20 years of my Christian life, I believed in the foreknowledge view, but after three years of studying Scripture and, and being prompted by Ron to come to a conclusion on my own, no matter how hard I asked him, he'd never say what he thought. Nope, you read these things and you come back and tell me what you think Scripture says. So three years later, I came back and said, no, I'm pretty sure God chooses. So those are the two viewpoints within Christianity. Now, let's go back to one of the main, I'm going to be ending here real soon. We're going to talk about election. We're going to talk about this, right? Then there's two viewpoints based on these Scriptures that I'm giving you. The next Scripture is John I guess we read that one in in, in Romans 9, 22, and 24. It says this, What if God, desiring to show his wrath and make make known his power, has endured with patience the vessels of his wrath, which were prepared in advance for destruction, in order that he might make the riches of his glory known to the vessels of his mercy, which he prepared even beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. So it's giving us a little bit of an explanation, and Paul is saying, hey, look, what a, hey, I'm God. In fact, it goes on to say, who are you to question me? I can make objects for noble purposes, and I can make objects for destruction. It's my prerogative. I'm God. I did it. And so what? If I wanted to create some who I could show mercy and love and grace to, and I made some that I wasn't going to, what's that to you? So here we have these two views, right? And... The problem that we have is not, now here's what I say, and I I probably am a smart aleck, and I say, look, um, I get it, you you can be an Arminian and believe that you chose God, you're just wrong and too bad. Um, But what we don't want to do is to say, well, I can't have fellowship with someone who believes differently in this doctrine than I do, or "You, you aren't really saved if you believe you chose. 
Or the, the, those that believe the other way say, well, you believe that God does the choosing. How bigoted and judgmental are you? And that's hateful, and God would never be like that. You can't do that. This is a doctrine that allows for some differences here. It is not absolutely clear, even though I believe it is pretty clear. Um, uh, I still love you if you're an Armenian. And guess what? We'll all laugh about it around the table in heaven. Because regardless of whether you believe you chose God or God chose you, if you chose him, you're saved. Praise God. So this is one of these doctrines that we have to learn to agree to disagree on in love. And we have our little sword fights, right? That's what we call them. We used to call them downstairs at men's breakfast. Okay, I think it says this. Why do you believe that? Because that was the, that was the test, right? Uh, look, I'm not interested in what your pastor told you. I'm not interested in what you heard on TV. I'm not interested in how you grew up. I'm not heard, really interested in what you think. Because I'm a person of the book. You've got to defend your view from this, because this is the final authority for all faith and practice. Bring it. Bring it, you Armenians. Let's have at it. I love you. We're going to be looking at the other four aspects of the process that you went through to be saved if you're a follower of Christ. And each one of them has some different viewpoints within Christianity. And what started this was, and I actually called Ron, I said, Ron, who put this thing together? Um, the way you worded some of these things, you know, this, you know, if we're saying this is a doctrine, and this is doctrine class, right, the doctrinal bullseye, this is a doctrine to die for. Well, am I going to die for the fact that, that they have to have the same view of regeneration that I do, or sorry, they're going to hell? You know, I, I tried to explain that to you the first week. There are doctrines that are necessary to believe in order to be saved. Regeneration happened. If you have a misconstrued idea of how it happened, it doesn't make you not a Christian. It just means you're not informed yet of what the Bible has to say about it. So we have to take these doctrines and learn how to love one another, and yet using our scriptures, using God's Holy Spirit, bring to those things uh, a proof that you believe Scripture is giving you. And that's, again, a process that I had to do. It took me over three years until I finally came to something that where I, the whole subject quit gnawing at me. But that's the point. We're going to be going through these things, and I'm going to be giving you the different viewpoints within Christianity so that you can start to determine where do I stand based on the truth of Scripture so that when someone comes up to you and says, no, 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 you didn't need to be fixed by God or regenerated in order to accept him. No, you just need to hear the word and then, and then you decide. And you'll say, well, hmm, sounds cool. It might be kind of fun to tell people that. It's not right. Because the Bible said, no, you can't. No one comes to the kingdom of God unless first, first, they're born again. Let's pray. Um, dear Father, sometimes your word is confusing. And sometimes I ask myself, and I even ask you, why is it that we don't all see things exactly the same way? And some of these things are pretty important, Lord, and, and some of it's maybe just a lesson. I don't know, God, if you're just trying to teach us how to get along with one another when we don't agree. And that's important because everything about Christianity is wrapped in love for one another and love for you. 
Lord, if that's the lesson, help us to learn it. Help us to get to the bottom of something, though, that we feel we need to know through your word, through the power of your Holy Spirit's discernment, but then be gentle and loving with one another when we disagree. But, Lord, this was important. It's important for us to know that you cared enough to not just save us, but to fix us. And so we thank you for that. Lord, open up your Holy Spirit's word, uh, words so that we can understand the truth of Scripture and live the kind of fulfilling life that gives you glory, but it's for our good. We just thank you and praise you for what you're going to do as we give this to you now. In your Son's holy name, amen.